A couple of other announcements. Uh, I, I already announced the daily breads are here for this next quarter. And uh, the uh, uh, anna- oh anniversaries. That's the other announcement I have. Uh, there's there's two other announcements here. I'll get to the to the the anniversaries in a minute. Uh, beginning on June 13th, we are hosting a luncheon immediately after church. When we say we, it means the the the, the congregation is actually hosting it. Uh, we will provide all the the food for this and uh, fellowship meal together. Uh, the church will provide everything necessary on the 13th. Then the remainder of the summer, we will have a luncheon on the second. Sunday of the month, and you can just check the calendar uh, for the dates for that. And uh, we're just again the opportunity is what what we're looking at, and the prayer opportunities, the the luncheons together. We used to do potlucks all the time, this type of thing. As we're allowed to open up, uh, we're uh, wanting to kind of get back into the groove of things and and start getting some fellowship going again. So, uh, we want to just uh, offer you the opportunities to join us in these things. So, uh, the prayer opportunities, uh, luncheon on the second Monday of the month after church, and uh, we'll uh, decide whether there's going to be potlucks or not. For right now, we felt we should keep it to food that we cook here and serve and, and uh, uh, keeping it within the, some, somewhat of the confines of what's been going on. But uh, eventually, possibly potlucks and, and those things again as well. Um, then anniversaries. We've got three anniversaries this month, and the you know one of the anniversary parties brought a wonderful cake uh, to share with us after uh, the worship service. So you're invited to share an anniversary cake. Now let me tell you, there's three anniversaries going. I could probably list the years, and you might be able to figure out the persons that are involved, but I'll just tell you, it's the, the Scribers are, are celebrating, and they have 65 years. The Abishans, uh, Ron and Teresa, 42 years. The Abishans, <laughs> Alan and Naomi, 18 years. So, uh, uh, we'll be sh- uh, sharing that together uh, after the service. Like I said, we have a, a cake in the back and, and a time of fellowship if you would like to stay and join us for that. Uh, I think that takes care of the announcements for this morning. And so, uh, this morning as we continue in our going through the Bible, we're coming to the book of Hosea uh, for today. And uh, the book of Hosea is uh, in what is called it's the, the minor prophets. And for some people that might be confusing, but I think most of you have been around in church long enough to know that it means nothing insignificant in the sense of, of lesser than, but minor prophets simply because they are shorter books than the major prophets. Isaiah would be a major prophet, 66 chapters. Hosea will be a minor prophet, 14 chapters. 
So uh, that's the, the, the significance. So when you see, hear somebody say major or minor prophets, that's what they're talking about. Um, Hosea uh, is... Well, let me... Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult book to preach simply because, uh, you know, and this is when I'm really glad the kids are not in here during the, the service, uh, that because it, it's talking about something that, that God has chosen to use as an illustration of His people going astray. And it has to do with Hosea and the per- person that he tells her uh, tells him to God tells him to marry. Um, the let's look at uh, chapter one, uh, verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord." Now. Three times they use the word whoredom. It's, it's there as it, you could actually use uh, the idea of debauchery. You could use another term as uh, prostitution. Uh, the, the idea is, is that it's sin. And the key I picture here is adultery. Okay? And I want you to notice, know that as we go through this, God is equating equating adultery with idolatry, lifting anything else above Him or anything that distracts you from Him. Now, we normally say, oh, I put nothing ahead of God. But, uh, well, we'll get through this. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, uh, we have this, this picture here of, of Hosea and his wife uh, and so it says in, in verse 3, uh, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dabalim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Gomer is his wife, okay? She's going to be unfaithful, as we, and we'll see that as we go through this. And so, as, as we point through this, uh, this, this picture, uh, what God is using is He's creating a... Some people use the word parable. Others have uh, used the word metaphor. But the picture of a comparison. Hosea and Gomer's relationship is a picture of God's relationship with the nation of Israel and Israel's drifting away from God over and over and over again. And that's what we've seen as we've gone through the Scriptures now through the Old Testament... Again, Israel drifts away. God calls them back. And, and then they, they repent and they come back and, and God blesses them. And as their blessings uh, increase, they get uh, selfish, you know, get prideful, I think would be an easy way of putting it, and, and think of themselves as sustaining on their own without, and they give God less and less glory. And, and the next thing you know, they're drifting away again. And then. You know, God has to bring them back. And so, that is a constant repeat thing in the Old Testament. Somebody says, well, in the New Testament, we, you know, is, is, as New Testament believers, does that apply to us? Read Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Just, just keep that in the back of your mind because Romans chapter 7 
ends with the words, Wretched man that I am, who is going to save me? If it weren't for Jesus Christ, I don't know what I'd do, basically, is what is implied. So, this is a problem yesterday, today, and tomorrow in the church. Uh, we tend to get self-sufficient in our walks with the Lord individually or collectively sometimes, and, and the end result is, is that God has to speak to us in some way to draw us back. And so that's the picture of Hosea. Uh, the book has uh, five different cycles in it or, uh, in, in the sense of judgment and restoration. Uh, I'm going to simply only read one of them and go through it, and, and that's the first one that starts in chapter 1. But also, uh, there's a second one in chapter 2, a third one in chapter 4 through chapter uh, 6, the beginning of chapter 6. The fourth one starts in chapter 6 and goes through chapter 11. And the fifth one starts in chapter 11 and goes through chapter 14. So, I'm going to look at these, but before I do, uh, Israel had understood something as a people. In order to receive the blessings, the people needed to remain faithful to their covenant that they had made with God, that they had made a promise to God. And the covenant is expressed in multiple places, but I'm going to use Deuteronomy chapter 28, just before they were going into the promised land, as the one that I want to to look at this morning. There it is. <laughs> I don't know why it's not coming. Oh, come on. There. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, starting with the first verse. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all that His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the, in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed Shall, you, uh, shall, be the, uh, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your uh, kneading bowl. Blessed shall be, you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. What a powerful picture of, of blessing. Uh, all the peoples of the earth, it goes on in verse 10, it says, all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and shall be uh, afraid of you. They'll, and this idea of being afraid of you will be, they'll, they'll be amazed at you. They'll be, they'll be at wonderment of you and what God is doing. And it's uh, verse 13, it says, and the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. 
And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to do the, to, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Very specific final phrase. Or to go after other gods and serve them. In other words, God is saying, I've, I've laid out who I am. I've laid out the commandments to follow after me. And stay within that path. And I can bless you. But if you stray from that path, I can't bless you. And, and so, that's the picture that Hosea is trying to deliver to the people that they're straying from the path, that they're not, they're not following after God. By the way, Hosea is talking to the nation of Israel uh, about the same time that Isaiah was talking to the nation of Judah. And so, uh, you can see that both uh, countries uh, of the Hebrew people, both nations of the Hebrew people were having difficulties staying on this path with God. Uh, it, the, the Israelites had sinned as far as, as what Hosea is dealing with uh, in four ways. They had rejected God and His law. They worshipped idols and other gods. They trusted in human works rather than in God. In other words, they would try to please their idols by serving them, but they'd also try to please God as one of the gods, you know, and and bring bring blessings and uh, or offerings to Him as well. And so they were uh, trusting in human works to please God. Uh, they committed injustices against each other. Uh, Hosea lists uh, that there was murder, theft, lying, and oppression of the poor uh, within the framework of their their nation. So. Hosea is basically saying you need to return to the format that God has laid out for us. And like I said, there was the, the five cycles of judgment and restoration. Uh, God will describe the sins, warns them of the coming judgment, and then reveals the blessings of being restored to Him in each one of these cycles. Uh, I'm just going to look at, at the first one and it starts in, in uh, Hosea chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 2 again in context through verse 9. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibalim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy or No Pity. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. In other words, I will, I will do it on my own, in my own power. 
When Gomer, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord called his name, Not My People. For you are not My people, and I am not your God. From when he was blessing them, saying, You are My people, and I am your God. What a, what a transition. And, and it's, you start to think about it. What a what a, a sad thing to have as a commentary. You're 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 not acting like my people. You're not coming to me like you like we agreed in in in, in the way that things were set up. You are no longer acting like my people. You're no longer coming to me as my people. So you're not my people. And if you're not my people, I'm not your God. I have to add this because this is our God. In the midst of laying out a judgment, if you will, He goes right into a restoration. Notice the word, yet. Some, some small words are very important. Even though all of this is true and I, and we're not in that relationship, you're not my people and I'm not your God, yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. You see, everything has been restored. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. God says there's going to be a time of judgment, but as implied as you repent, there's a time of restoration. This is something that we all run into in our lives. Where we, in in any given moment, sometimes it's a season in our lives, where we find ourselves that we've drifted away from the, 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 the joy of the Lord in the sense of our relationship. And God allows things to happen that draw our attention back to Him in order to pull us back and to restore us. Gomer is shows herself to be the harlot that she is. She goes and has affairs during her relationship with Hosea. She's with other men. And so, uh, she eventually leaves him and, and is with another person. Hosea never divorces her and God does not allow him to abandon her. 
think about it. Hosea, if, according to the Israel law, Jewish law, he had the right to divorce her, to let her go, to, to have nothing to do with her. But God won't allow him to do this. He puts a love in Hosea for Gomer that goes beyond all of this. If she would only come home, I would love her. I would receive her. Look at chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels. He had to buy her back. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a uh, uh, lethic of barley, which is a, a substantial amount of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. In other words, I'll be equally faithful to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. In other words, you can see the parallel he's drawing. Just as he receives Gomer back and says, everything must go back into regular order. He's saying, so the nation of Israel is going to return. And, and, and the, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. And David, their king. Now, that's an interesting phrase all by itself. David's come and gone. David, their king. What they're referring to is the restoration of the throne of David as the authority. Who is the ultimate example of David, the king? Jesus Christ. And they shall come to fear, uh, come in fear to the Lord and and to His goodness in the latter days. So there's that one picture of 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 falling away and, and restoration and coming back. And, and it's that, that idea that, that God is infinitely patient. He, 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 just, he exudes this idea of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I was trying to put some things together here and I was trying to think of of how I would react, uh, you know, uh, you know, how surprised Hosea had to be uh, in the first place, being told that he would marry uh, a prostitute. But he 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 did it without any hesitation. But even more so when he says, "Take her back." Not only take her back, but go to the auction and purchase her. Whoever it was that she had been with, you know, she'd, she'd come a hard time. She was, became available for auction. That's really what's implied through all of this. And he paid this price for her. God's love is seen in a glimpse there. as much as a man might be able to give you a glimpse of God's love. Because God's love is so much more, so much bigger, so much more amazing when we start to think about it. 
Homer, however, is a, is, is a type or a foreshadowing of Christ. Gomer, Hosea, excuse me, <laughs> Homer. <laughs> Homer, who's that? Oh, that was the Odyssey. That's, a, that's another Greek story. Uh, Hosea is, is a, an example of Christ. A shadow, a foreshadowing of Christ. Gomer is a foreshadowing of the nation of Israel, but to us today, a foreshadowing of the church. Think of the history of our church, the body of Christ. It has gone what? Up and down. Up and down. There have been amazing, great awakenings. But before there was any great awakening, something happened. The body of Christ returned to their knees Return to prayer, return to the face of God, and had a sense of legitimate, if you will, true worship. Not in formalism, but in heart rent, broken heart over sin. And, and there was a, a revival in the church. And when there was a revival in the church, people started to see this and came to, to, to be a part of it. And that was what was called the Great Awakening. I think I've shared this with you before, but at one point, if you can imagine, in the early 1800s, around 1805 in that area, uh, there was a, a, a Great Awakening. Lexington, Kentucky had a total of 1,500 people. I think it might have been the biggest city in the area. Cane Ridge, not too far from there. They started preaching the Word of God. This came after a great prayer revival that started in the 1790s. They actually cut down trees to have a stump big enough to get the guy to stand on. So they started stump preaching. And there might have been as many as five or six preachers at any given time through these, these areas preaching. And at one point, there was over 25,000 people in the valley of Cambridge. They'd come from Louisiana. They'd come from Maine. They'd come, they'd come from all over. And there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there was a great awakening. But it was followed a great revival in the church first. I see here as I as I look at the the life of Christ and his his desire to to pull the people uh, uh, the the Hebrew people into into him and, and his love for them and uh, how Jesus in in Matthew uh, is outside the city uh, coming into the the last week the Passion Week. And uh, he laments, it says, over Jerusalem. These are the words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. 
and you would not. Your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus weeps over Israel. Just shortly after that, the Last Supper, the arrest, the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Philippians tells us that Jesus Christ emptied Himself, became a man, even a servant to men, even to the point of the cross. Man had, had fallen down. He needed restoration. God intervened, became flesh, and comes in and starts the process to restore him through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ takes on the sin of man and literally buried it at the cross. One author put it this way, uh, Jesus from the garden said, not my will but yours be done. And then Jesus went to the cross. He didn't walk away. Because of His great love for His bride, the church, He laid down His life for her. And that made me think of, of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is talking about wives and husbands in this, in this passage. And he gets down to, this mystery is profound about husbands being with their wives, husbands love their wives as Christ loves their church and this type of thing. But he says, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Even our marriages are to be a reflection of Christ and the church. Our church is to be a reflection of the bride of Christ and, and the Lord. One commentator said it in a way that I initially found frustrating. We are Gomer. And the first thing in my mind was, no, I'm not. Then he said, we are spiritual adulterers. <laughs> I said, that's harsh. <laughs> but he went on to say, we want to have it our way and we are willing to reject God's covenantal faithfulness for fleeting one-night stands with idols. While it's hard to admit that we are no different than Gomer, it is a truth that we can embrace with humility and, and, and the sense of the desire to lead us to repentance. And that drove me to the words of a song. And uh, I don't know how many of you 
our, our, our Keith Green fans. Uh, I became one uh, in 1982. Uh, in fact, it was just before he died in a plane accident. Uh, he did a concert in Santa Rosa. And myself and a number of youth from the church that we were at up here drove down to Santa Rosa and we saw his concert. And his concert just didn't want to stop. It was an amazing evening. Finally, the, the, the officials of the, of the fairgrounds came and said, the neighbors are beginning to complain. It's about 11 o'clock. <laughs> you know, it's time to end your, your evening. But uh, in one song that he sang, uh, it's called, You Love the World. And let me share this with you. God speaking in the sense of, in, the, in his song, he says, I want you here with me, but you've been keeping other company. You can't sit still. It's plain to see you love the world and you're avoiding me. You love the world, avoiding me. My world sits there upon your desk, but, uh, my word sits there upon your desk, but you love your books and magazines the best. You prefer the light of your TV. You love the world and you're avoiding me. You used to pray you were so brave, now you can't keep even one appointment we've made. Oh, I gave my blood to save your life. Tell me, tell me, is it right? Tell me, will you leave me here alone again tonight? Well, I love you still more and more. But you're fighting everything I'm working for. You're acting like my enemy. You love the world and you're avoiding me. It goes on though with other songs after that that are about how God embraces us in spite of our sin. And, 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 and I was going through all of this and I realized, you know, there's an awesome passage written by John. Actually, it's found in, in, in the short epistle, 1 John. passage starts in chapter 1, 1 John, starts with verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now listen carefully to this part. This is the important part. If we say we have no sin, this is believers, folks, not, not non-Christians. This is us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He, Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
What a powerful picture. What it's saying is we're going to we're 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 running these same cycles. We we draw close to the Lord and then we drift away from the Lord. It can happen multiple times in a day, or it can happen over a season where we are distant. But the bottom line is, is that we draw away from the Lord. We're just like what you know that one guy says. We're we're Gomer, and we need to be called back. And God is so faithful. Even though He must put things in our path that might cause us to stumble and, to, and, 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 and cause us some pain or some grief or some sorrow, it will be in the reference to turn us around and bring us into Him in a deeper, even more powerful way. The uh, picture of Hosea and, 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 and the falling away and, and then the judgment and then the restoration is we see at communion as well. When we come to communion, we're told to examine our lives. To ask God for His mercy and His grace, His forgiveness as we share in communion. It's an opportunity to recognize what Christ has done for us and an opportunity for restoration. It's not that it does anything magical, but it's the symbolic picture of the blood of Christ, the bread of Christ, to, to minister to us and to draw us into Him. We're going to sing a, a, a song uh, here. It's called, and, and let me just give you the words to it while the worship team is coming up. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exists our sin and our guilt, exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is a flowing, a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Some people use this as a salvation song or an an altar call. It's meant for each of us as we come to the Lord. And what better place than at communion? The, the, The refrain is grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Let's go ahead and...